Drinks, food, art, fun. This is Hops and Spirits Kentucky. We're back after a week off. I hope everyone had a safe and happy 4th of July. We got a great episode for you this week as we continue our road trip series 2023, this time with a trip down to Myrtle Beach and talking to a guy that has some connections to Kentucky as he used to work at 1020. Now he's at Crooked Hammock and Larry Horwitz. But first, what's pouring some news and notes around Kentucky? Lexington Burger Week is happening now through Sunday, July 16th. Enjoy $7 burgers from participating restaurants. For more information on those restaurants and burgers, check out LexingtonBurgerWeek.com. And don't forget to download the app so you can check in as well. And Louisville Burger Week is returning Monday, July 17th through Sunday, July 23rd. It also features $7 burgers from around more than 40 restaurants. And participants can download that mobile app to compete for prizes. Goodwood Brewing is bringing a new concept to Bowling Green this fall. The Game Yard Social is a family-friendly and fun spot for anyone looking for a place to gather. The bar and restaurant combo will feature a relaxed backyard setting, complete with interactive games, food and drink, TVs, live entertainment, and plenty of spaces to hang out. The experience will include a full kitchen featuring American Favorites, favorites large outdoor game area, a private rooftop dining space, and cabana-like areas available for rent. The interactive yard games for all ages will include cornhole, life-size beer pong, foot pool, and connect four, duck pin bowling, giant jenga, so much more. Uh, and indoor and outdoor bars will house many TVs for guests to enjoy and serve craft beers, a variety of bourbons and spirits, along with cocktails. So that's kind of a, a pretty cool thing. And they've also got another location, Goodwood location, opening up in Owensboro soon. And uh, for those that enjoy hot dogs, the third annual Lexington Hot Dog Eating Contest at Boondogs will happen on Wednesday, July 19th. Contestants will compete to see how many foot-long hot dogs and buns they can eat in 10 minutes. First place will receive a gift card, trophy, and a shirt. You need to check that out. Uh, check out Boondogs for more information there. Chef Weta Michael opened up Holly Hill Cooking Studio at 167 South Main Street in Versailles. The space offers opportunities for visitors to learn about Kentucky cuisine and food culture. Shop hours are 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Saturdays. You can visit hollyhillco.com, then click Cooking Studio to see a schedule of classes. And in a bit of sad news, Par 6 Social, which opened in late February at the Fayette Mall in Lexington, has shut down. Uh, the bar and restaurant was in the former Bar Louie location opposite the Cheesecake Factory. So if you're hoping to go there, uh, you might have missed your opportunity. But up next, we continue our road trip series with a trip to Myrtle Beach as we talk with Crooked Hammock Brewing Brewmaster Larry Horwitz. Enjoy. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at HopSpirits.com. Joining us here for our Q&A this week, it's part of our Road Trip Series 2023 because we're heading down to Myrtle Beach and we're talking with Crooked Hammock and we're welcoming their head of brewing operations, Larry Horowitz. Larry, welcome in. Hey, Jonathan. How are you? I'm good. And did I say your last name correct? Because I feel like I could easily screw that one up. You nailed it. Good work. <laughs> I try. I try really hard. And you might be going, well, that's a long road trip. True. But Larry does have some connections back to Kentucky as well. So it all will make sense when we're, we're done talking. But I always like to start this off with, or actually it might make sense here in this next little bit, because I call this part the cliff notes. Tell us a little bit about yourself, but not too much because I've got lots of questions to ask. Sure. So I'm a, I'm a 30-year veteran of the craft brewing industry. Uh, I actually did not get my start in craft beer. I work for a major international brewery who has a production facility in Columbus, Ohio, whose name we won't mention. Um, but I learned a lot there and uh, really uh, in, uh, got my foot in the door of, of beer culture and 
quality beer and caring about beer. And then I spent a bunch of time working at craft breweries all across the country. Um, famously in Columbus, Ohio, at the now defunct Hoster Brewing Company, um, which is actually not defunct anymore. It's been reopened under uh, uh, under new leadership by a guy named Danny Meyer. Um, but, you know, unusually at the time, that was a lager brewing, brewing uh, uh, craft brewery. And we'll talk more about that later. And um, then after opening a series of brewery restaurants and brew pubs and tap rooms across the United States, I landed on the East Coast for about 15 years with a restaurant group called Iron Hill Brewery, um, where we just started racking up national and international awards and making world-class beer. You know, at that time, uh, 13 breweries in four states. Now there are, I think, 22 or 23 breweries in 12 or 13 states. Um, left there uh, after a really long and fun run to open my own brewery with a partner in Columbus, Ohio. Unfortunately, the market uh, and the pandemic decided that wasn't to be. So that brand has been shuttered and may she rest in peace. Um, but then went to work for uh, a really awesome group there in Louisville, Kentucky called 1020 Craft Brewery. Um, I was the founding brewmaster and the head of brewing operations for that group. I've since moved on, but they're doing really awesome stuff in uh, in Louisville. And I have a feeling, not having talked to them in a couple of weeks, that they're they're headed towards Lexington. So you may see a 1020 tap room in your region in the not too distant future. Uh, I left there on a on the way to the beach. So I had the opportunity to go to work for Crook and Hammock uh, Brands, uh, a subsidiary of Lolita Hospitality. So we have a few different restaurant brands in addition to the Crook and Hammock Brew Pubs. And I've got an awesome team of guys here. We're, we're basically making beer at the beach for people who come to the beach uh, for about a third of the year, where we do two thirds of our business. And for the other two thirds of the year, we get to hang out with the locals who uh, who don't go home in the winter. In uh in the northern reaches of Delaware, uh, a lot of New Jerseyans are retiring to the area where we are, which is interesting because the state is mostly rural and has very low taxes. So there's there's a reason. And you know, <laughs> near, near the beach, low taxes. Uh, and, and Myrtle is changing a little bit, too, as time goes on, as the snowbirds are starting to uh, starting to retire more permanently to the south. And Myrtle's growing because of that. Both of the regions where we operate are increasing in their population of people who have free time and like to consume adult beverages. <laughs> it's a perfect combination for what we, what you do and what we talk about here. And, and you mentioned, you know, I'm always curious about this because, you know, for me, craft beer wasn't something I just jumped into. Uh, you know, granted, I still have a little bit of time to make sure that is what I want to get into. I, I've heard it's by the time you're 40, it's beer, bourbon, or, or, you know, um, smoking meats. Uh, I still got time to figure that out, but not much. Or, or all of those things. Or all of them, uh, which could be, be what happens. Um, and, or you become a vegetarian. <laughs> that, that won't happen. I can guarantee you that. that. I respect nothing, that. Nothing wrong with that. Just not for me. But now how did you get into craft beer because like you said you worked kind of for maybe one of the big boys that we won't name but how did what what led you down the road of craft beer um it was a combo so i was in college at the time also um and, and a bunch of my friends worked for the uh, somewhat famous local craft brewery um and i showed up and i said listen i have some experience you know and the brewmaster there said well we absolutely can need that we need the help um, the pay is nearly zero, but uh, we'll feed you lunch and you'll get beer. And uh, th there are a lot of interesting and, and exciting young people working here. And I, I, as a young man, I was like, yep, I'm here for that. Um, and there was something about, you know, this was the this is the early 90s, right? Craft beer was a movement. I mean, it still is. But then it was a, this burgeoning idea. You know, I wasn't a great fit for a large multinational at that time in my life. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of 
rules that don't make sense when you're working with union shop uh, folk. And and I was way better suited to the creative and exciting environment of a, of a small brewery. You know, I tell people all the time, part of what was interesting about that early days in our industry is that we were in no small way still inventing a lot of what it is that we do now. Right. And that's ingredients and equipment. I mean, I remember when, you know, we had to drive to Wisconsin to buy malt because nobody was bagging or delivering it. You know, I watched famously watched uh, somebody pancake a pickup truck at Breeze because they showed up to buy malt and they're like, well, we don't have a way to sell it to you. And he's like, we well, can just put it in the back of my pickup truck. And they're like, okay, go get underneath the spout there and we'll see how this is going to work. And the truck just went clunk, you know? So that that's kind of how I got sucked in. And, you know, famously, I sat down at lunch one day with my then boss and, and sitting across from me, I had no idea at the time was Michael Jackson, right? Not the gloved pop star, but the, the guy from Manchester who talks about beer and, you know, I, I'm just stoked because we're going to sit and have a beer for lunch. And it wasn't until like two hours later when the guy who, who I still consider to be my mentor in craft beer named Alan Young was like, you know who that was, right? <laughs> and I was like, no. And he handed me all of his books and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm an idiot. Uh, but uh, you know, it, the industry changed so much in the last 30 years. And I think mostly for the good around the idea that small breweries could independently distribute specifically and that there were protections in a lot of states from franchise law that give us access to market because you know since the 70s and 80s it's been really difficult for small breweries to even open in america uh i have sat on the board for the brewers association uh and so i understand how important the work is that we do in our regulated industry to make sure that these small businesses have access to market right so i hope that answers your question about how i landed in the craft beer business um and i've never looked back i mean the the folks are interesting and exciting and creative and usually a lot of fun and the the group likes to eat and drink and those are two of my favorite hobbies <laughs> <laughs> so you did you pick all of them except bourbon or did you pick bourbon too when it was time so, you know, moving into Kentucky, I already had an idea about the bourbon business. I grew up in, in northern Indiana and spent a decent amount of time over the river in Kentucky, right? Um, just because my family would occasionally vacation in the in the beautiful southern Indiana, northern Kentucky rolling hills, right? A lot of great state parks down there. And we were a state park kind of family. So, you know, it, I, I had experienced bourbon before. And then my sister married a man who... Uh, ended up in the beer industry too. And he was like, no, you don't understand bourbon. So we need to sit and drink a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I could get on board with this program. And then, you know, while we were relocating, because I've also consulted and moved equipment throughout my career, we were relocating a brewery out of Atlanta, actually to Northern Indiana. And we made a point to drive through Kentucky. This must've been 95, 96 ish <laughs> to, to stop. And, you know, I mean, your listeners may or may not be as old as my tired behind, but in, you know, in 1992, we went to Maker's Mark and it was still kind of kind of in the middle of nowhere and they didn't really get a lot of visitors. I mean, they they were trying, but, you know, especially since the Beam Centauri per purchase, it's changed a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. now, now you go to these distilleries and it's like a winery experience. It's stunning that they've always been very hospitable. But, you know, that Maker's Brewery is like you drive until you're lost and then you turn left on a goat path and then there's the distillery. Right. You know, and and I was pretty much sold after that. And have, we spent a lot of time traveling for whiskey after that, you know. So to land in, in, in Louisville was not entirely an accident. And the <laughs> distillers are generous to a fault, you know. It, they tell me it takes a lot of beer, takes a lot of beer to make good whiskey, right? 
<laughs> and not just the kind in the process. They got to consume it too. So I'm a fan. Um, I, we left Kentucky with a trunk load of whiskey, and and I'm not uh, I'm not unhappy to tell you that it's mostly been depleted, and we're going to have to make a trip back soon. <laughs> so, I love yeah, that. Yeah. Wine, spirits, especially whiskey and beer. I also I got a soft spot for old man gin. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I love that. You, you mentioned being part of you know the Brewers Association, being part of even the Brewers Guild in Kentucky. Why has stuff like that been so important to you to to do that and kind of get involved to see this industry be able to to grow? You know, it's a two parter. First, I think a lot of people are don't really understand how heavily regulated the alcohol industry is in the United States, right? Um, it's one of the very few industries that has uh, operation tenants outlined in the constitution, right? Not just in state laws or federal laws. Um, so because we're such a heavily regulated industry, we have to make sure that we're paying attention to how we're being regulated for lots of reasons to make sure mostly that our businesses can remain healthy and active and that customers get the right information about how the alcohol industry should work, right? I mean, I think we all understand that uh, all things in moderation and that that beer especially can be part of a healthy, active lifestyle. And there are a lot of people out there who don't necessarily agree with that or who don't believe in that. Um, so, you know, we, we need to be advocates for our own work to make sure that people still get to experience the beautiful products that we make. And, I, you know, part of it is it's my turn. We all, I think, owe a debt of service to the to our forebearers who make it possible for us to do what we do, no matter what industry we're in, and especially alcohol, because in the United States, the, the laws around alcohol are also a little fraught, right? To this day, there's a decent number of people who think that we oughtn't be able to drink ethanol ever. And obviously, I am opposed to that position. So part of it is uh, that. And, and of course, when I own my own business, you got to be an advocate. You know, if you're not in there talking about the things that are important for, for your business, somebody else is going to do the talking for you, right? And, you know, there's been a really big shift in our industry in the last couple of decades around distribution, especially, right? I think we're all, we're, we've all gotten used to the idea that there's some really interesting stuff around small local producers who are making limited amounts of products, you know, down the street from where we live. And I want to make sure that we still get to do that. And so that consumers don't have a, a narrow field of choice where they're only able to buy whatever international or national products are brought through the relatively narrow funnel of their local distribution chain. You know, it's not really a, a, a widely known, but the middle tier of the alcohol business in the last 20 years is aggressively consolidated to the point where in a lot of markets, there's really only one or two major distributors that will, will move beer around. And, you know, distribution is really important to the manufacturing and sale of beer. I don't want to disparage that group, but when you when you narrow the channel down to very few choices, it means that the middle tier is going to be able to pick winners and losers a whole lot more, whether that's intentional or not. And so I want to make sure that consumers get the best access to beer, you know, and to say, hey, the market should choose who wins here, not necessarily a few people in a boardroom at a distribution warehouse. And again, I don't think it's malicious on their part, but you can only work with so many products at a time. And while the industry has exploded, you know, when I started, I think there were 800 breweries in America total and 98% of the production went through like six of them, right? And I think the local, the, the most recent Breweries Association numbers are somewhere around 9,000 breweries operating in America. You know, that group works really hard just to keep up. And that's awesome. 
um, because it means that there's even more varied choices available for consumers. And I and I think that we got to work really hard to make sure that, that that happens. In addition to that, the Brewers Association has been super influential in collecting technical information and redistributing it to its members, the Small Breweries of America. And, you know, I consider myself a technical brewer. I want to know what's new and different and exciting in the world of production and food safety and 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 the laws around um, about what we can put in beer and what we can't put in beer and hopefully to broaden the horizons of what beer is. I think especially in the last 10 years or so, we've started to see the possible with beer, right? Um, beer in America for a couple of generations was very narrow. It was yellow 10 Plato lager beer at about four and a half percent alcohol, right? And while I'm a huge fan of that style and that idea, I think that, you know, we're starting to develop a broader beer culture in America, and the trade association has a lot to do with that. I mean, they also support homebrewing, which I think is vital and important to what we do because it helps people understand how beer gets made. And, you know, you, you appreciate baking more if you bake a little bit, right? This so when, is true. You see, when you see a baker do something beautiful and you've made your own bread, which I have done disastrously, as did everyone during the pandemic, right? You're like, wow, that that's pretty darn impressive. <laughs> You know, so I I, uh, I continue to serve the trade association I have for years. Um, I'm now back working with the state of Delaware Brewers Guild a little bit. You know, we're working on franchise reform and self-distribution laws in Delaware. Um, I have been active in New Jersey and in Pennsylvania, Ohio and Kentucky in the past. You know, we got to we got to speak up so that people understand what our challenges are and uh, to help keep the industry healthy so that consumers can make the choices about what they want to drink. It's so true. And I think people, as they learn more about how the alcohol industry works, they are a little amazed at, at the challenges that, that folks face. And, you know, and, and, you know, as you, as you've moved uh, across, you, you've been able to visit some, some different places, whether that's the Great Lakes, New Jersey, uh, you know, obviously the bluegrass state and beyond. How has that impacted your brewing? Cause I feel like styles differ each place. What people kind of like, there are some that are always going to be, be, be key, but uh, I feel like there are different styles in different places. Yeah, I mean, the world has been flattened a bit by the internet, right? So, you know, I am old enough to remember a time when you had to call somebody to get the answer to a question, <laughs> or you had to drive to the library and look at a book, God forbid. Um, but yeah, you know, terroir, in the, in the wine industry, we talk about terroir, right, which is the flavor of a place. And I think that that's real in beer too, right? So part of this is about just local communities of brewers. I mean, especially in the craft brewing industry, brewers that are located near each other tend to play off each other, right? We we share ideas about ingredients. This is one of the coolest things about the craft brewing industry, right? Like there's not this cutthroat, I need every drop at your expense idea. It's more like, hey, we're going to go there together, right? And that community is one of the reasons I've stayed so long in this industry. So it's been awesome for me to get to experience that community in, you know, half a dozen different places. Um, there's always some commonality, especially because, um, uh, you know, the internet has flattened the world. So when somebody like Treehouse starts making hazy New England IPAs, uh, which, by the way, started in Philadelphia, um, I get a kick out of that. People are like, that's New England. I'm like, well, you know, who did it first? I don't, you know, we can fight about that. I mean, arguably, arguably, Greg Noonan did it 35 years ago at Vermont Pub. You know, there's the whole Cascadian dark or black IPA argument, which I think is mostly dumb because it's all the same <laughs> exactly <laughs> but there are a lot of people who want to crucify me for that you know so i think it's been awesome both to make friends in the industry in different places and to work a little bit not a lot with local ingredients 
um, you know, for good or for ill, the base ingredients in most beers are commodity products and they, they get made in a few places in the world kind of narrowly and redistributed. But how they get used locally has changed over time, right? So it was interesting to come specifically to Kentucky and to talk about Kentucky Common as a style. And, and, and you know, a lot of people don't know this about the Lexington and Louisville areas, but, you know, in, in 1938 to 48, there is this huge influx of Austrian, Swiss, and German immigrants to the areas, um, and they brought with them a lot of culture, and one of the cultures they brought was lager beer brewing specifically, you know, and and while Kentucky Common is interesting to me for all the reasons, I think I have more fun with the larger conversation of all of the German breweries that exist in those two major metropolitan areas, and I'll loop Cincinnati in there too, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you know the your you and your listeners i'm sure understand the geography that created specifically louisville as a city it was one of the largest cities in the united states because we didn't have highways right so people mm -hmm. have to get in and out of the midwest how it was faster to come out of philadelphia sail around florida into the gulf come up the mississippi and the ohio all the way to pittsburgh even um but there's a physical impediment at louisville which is the falls of the ohio so it was a portage spot you couldn't run the steamboats up and down the river there and so a lot of these immigrants who were coming from uh western europe um especially educated people who had to very quickly leave when the kaiser wanted to off them right because the coup was attempted and it failed they end up coming to the midwest and specifically to louisville lexington cincinnati and so to see that lager tradition get continued by brewers like 1020 and by country boy and by uh mad tree and the folks in cincinnati and Rheingeist, you know that whole corridor along the ohio river has been really awesome um so you know i mean the original question was uh us talking about how my travels have influenced uh how i view beer that's just one slice of it um i won't go too deep into it but when i moved to the philadelphia philadelphia metro area um i was introduced already had an understanding about belgian beer i think anybody who's into craft beer has has been down that road but all of a sudden i'm in a community where you know there were people like tom peters famously of monk's cafe in philadelphia who in the 80s and 90s was buying plane tickets for kegs of beer out of out of belgium right and so there's an entire community that developed in that area around traditional belgian styles and of course as americans we interpret everything right mm -hmm. so we pick up an idea slice it dice it repack it brand it as traditional or not and, and then sell it in a very uniquely american way right i love you know i'm i'm friends with the folks at sierra nevada and every once in a while i giggle about sierra nevada pale ale right which of course is attempting to emulate the great pale ales of london and great britain but it looks absolutely nothing like it right and so that that's been a fun experience too right there are a lot especially in western europe where most of your culture in the world comes from today there are a lot of rules around what you can and can't do and in america thankfully while there are a lot of regulations about ethanol specifically there's not too much around style or authentic mm -mm. style so we get to interpret what's been done in the beer world a lot and that gives me creativity and it's fun to engage with the brewers around to see hey who's doing what you know i mean there's this whole idea about fruit and sour beer that just came out of left field a few years back and is on fire and i'm here for that and, I, and i've been absolutely here for the new new england ipa run because i'm a hop guy i love the way hops taste but also you know 10 years before that when the dry super bitter west coast ipa hit the market and it was a thing i i still have a soft spot in my heart for that you know, I've done a lot of collaborations and spent a lot of time with brewers in Southern California back when there weren't so many of us. You know, we famously did East Coast, West Coast fights 
between brewers where we would, you know, we'd make a East Coast lager and and get it, this is all an excuse to have a happy hour event, right? Where of we course. <laughs> so we're gonna meet in Chicago and we're gonna serve our beer against each other and see who wins. And well, everybody wins because you get to drink a bunch of beer, you know. Um, and that's not finished for me, you know. Now somehow I got old. Um, I suppose if if you stick around long enough, that happens, right? I'm not ancient, I'm solidly middle-aged, but I've I I interview people now to fill roles uh, in in brew pubs, and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, I've got a ton of experience. I've been in this industry like five years, and I'm like, five whole years. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, five years these days can be, a, you know, you can become an expert in five years, that's for sure. But the, my my arc of what could be has shifted a little bit, and specifically in the last decade. And I am super stoked to be a part of a community where we can swap ideas. I mean, what other industry can I call up a competitor? and say hey you're doing this thing you want to tell me about it and they'll be like yeah man come over i'll show you the recipe or they'll give you ingredients because you're short (laughs) yeah that happens a lot and and, and i'm thankful about that right i mean fedex is expensive so i'm like hey can we borrow a box of hops absolutely and uh, by the way when you're coming over to bring that box of hops can we borrow some yeast (laughs) you know so it's pretty great you know there are very few jerks in our industry. Uh, there are a couple of famous ones, but we won't talk about those. For them, even the famous ones are actually pretty nice. They just they just like their they like their uh, they like their press, right? <laughs> so I I really enjoy the community around craft beer, and now it's even gone the other direction where the larger brewers are getting re-engaged, especially the people who work for them, in the professional associations, right? There's a few of them. I mean, we've already talked about the BA. The Brewers Association is really a trade association for brewery owners that does a lot to help people who are in the industry learn about what we do. But there's Master Brewers Association of the Americas, which I used to call Old Man Drinking Club. <laughs> I went to my first MBAA meeting in Cincinnati in maybe 92, and I think I was the youngest person in the room by 50 years, right? There's a, it's a bunch of 80-year-old German guys sitting around a, a, sitting around the Hudepol Shandling uh tap tap room talking about the good old days in the 1950s Um, and that's completely changed that organization is now about split about 50 50 big brewers and small brewers and even that community has gotten pretty awesome where we can talk to brewers from the largest breweries and they're like yeah we know how to solve that problem and we'll help you um i think even the big brewing industry is pretty famous for that i i went to school uh at the university of wisconsin in madison taking a brewery science and engineering course. And one of our instructors was this guy named Dirk Bandiak. And, and Dirk at that time was the microbiologist for what is now Molson Miller course. Um, and he's like, look, you know, everybody kind of knows that that group famously invented the whirlpool, or at least everybody in our industry. And this is kind of a technical brewing thing, but I'm talking about it anyway. And it was super important to the quality of beer, specifically its ability to be bright and be stored a long period of time. And they had an internal company meeting that I only know about anecdotally, but this is kind of industry famous where they were like, this is so important. We feel like we have to tell everybody else about it. You know, and I mean, that's nuts, right? There's this novel. Can you imagine? I'm going to pick on the DuPont Corporation because I'm in Delaware. Can you imagine DuPont saying, hey, we just invented this proprietary process and now we're going to tell all of our competitors about it, right? (laughs) And I was like, wow, that's a great story because we kind of think that craft brewers are like that, but we don't think about big brewers being that way. And, and in my experience, the entire industry is that way. And it's the reason that I will probably continue to brew beer until I can't walk anymore. And then, then I'll get somebody to wheel me over to the brew house. <laughs> well, and, and like you said, the industry is, is amazing. And now, the, like we mentioned at the top here with Crooked Hammock, 
uh you, you've got some fun fun releases coming up you just released the uh hammock light lager july 1st uh is the uh wide-eyed wit what's it been like to go there and bring some of your styles that you enjoy there and kind of put your spin on things hammock has been a blast first of all i mean beer at the beach is a great idea in general right i'm i'm here for that i'm 100 here for that i mean you can you drink know? anytime right <laughs> yes <laughs> it's the how tall are you conversation right my brother-in-law is six foot seven and uh every time somebody asks how tall he is and they give a number he just says yes right <laughs> are you seven feet tall yes are you nine feet tall yes so for me it's, do you drink beer all day sure <laughs> time stands stills when you're on vacation at the beach (laughs) it's a little true not a lot true right we taste beer all day long you know so coming on with these guys has been really interesting uh the founder uh, rich gearhan will tell you that you know crooked hammock was opened with once on abandon you know he worked in the banking industry and and just decided he needed a a little shakabuku right a little life change that that took him to a place that was a little more laid back so he could spend time with his family and you know enjoy the world we live in so that ethic to me is appealing i have not so famously vacationed in this area for years and my partner is an awesome woman and she was like um i could see us retiring to this area for a lot of reasons and i you know i'm showing my age by even having that conversation by the way i'm nowhere near retirement but you know i'm nearer than i used to be and when the opportunity came up to work with this group I, I was pretty engaged. I like their story. There's a lot of really great professionals on the team from culinary to service to, to the team that works with me in brewing. Um, and they were doing some interesting and creative stuff, but they're, we're trying to grow and they needed a little help to, to maybe focus that effort. And I'm happy to say that, you know, I think we're really on a path there. One of them is uh, lager beer specifically, right? Uh, obviously I'm passionate about all of the lager styles. I, we all kind of understand that our industry has walked gingerly around them for years because they tend to be very technically difficult to make in general. They require equipment that is a little more expensive and a little more space and time consuming. Um, and, and I think that the industry has finally gotten mature enough that people know how to do this well. And I put myself in that bucket too. Um, and the ingredients have come around. We have access to the yeast and to the good quality malts that we need to make lager beer. And one of the things that we've been able to do with this company is to say, hey, you know, for a lot of years, not just us, the industry was like, well, this yellow ale that we make is designed to emulate a, a beautiful continental German lager beer, but it isn't really one. And now instead of saying, hey, it's like that, we can just say, yeah, we made that. <laughs> you know, in the fall, we released a beer called Cryptoberfest. That's a Meritzen lager. And, you know, I know it's going to it's gonna blow up because there's been a little bit, I'll call it, backlash is a harsh word, but there's been a little bit of pivot in the industry. I think that we all know, at least those of us who make beer and talk about beer, know that IPA is the king of the seasonal world, right? It, what's hot and new is the same thing that's been hot and new for years, which mm-hmm. is hoppy beer, whether it's hazy or bright or what. Um, but there's been this little segment of the of the consuming population, and I put most brewers into this bucket who were like, that's been very fun and very interesting, but you know what I need is a crushable pint of 10 degree Czech lager, <laughs> right? Something mm-hmm. that I can be refreshed by and that I can appreciate the subtleties of the hops and the malt that went into it. You know, I used to joke that in the craft brewing industry, we just shove flavor into beer until it breaks, which is cool, but it also is a tool to hide a lot of sins. 
um, and lager beers don't hide those sins. So being able to make those at Crooked Hammock has been great. My team has been fired up about it, and they really, they really risen to the occasion. So when we made and launched the Crooked Hammock Light, which is basically template of Czech lager or, or American premium, depending on how you slice it, it's light because the rest of our portfolio is much, much heavier. Um, it's been received with uh, very, very, very large cheers and smiles. Cheers and smiles, right? People are like, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> right and we still make hazy beers we still make hoppy beers we still make sour beers a lot of sour beer fruit and sour and belgian beers but sneakily the, this yellow clean yellow lager beer is climbing up the volume ladder inside of our portfolio you know and wide-eyed wit which we're going to release here around the fourth of july is is a is in that direction with a subtle shift right i mean we can't overlook the the relevance of uh of hazy wheat beers, especially phenolic ones in the summertime. You know, in my world, we might have thought about Hefeweizen uh, in that bucket, but this market really loves, and I personally really love wheat beer, especially if the spices are fresh, right? You know, a lot of people don't know this, but one of the largest spice companies in the world is McCormick. It's located in Baltimore, Maryland, their headquarters. And I've done some work with them in the past, especially around coriander, which I think is a pretty amazing spice. Um, and so, you know, the idea that a spiced Belgian style beer is important to specifically this market is a big deal. So it's being well received so far. And uh, I'm looking forward to the launch of another, you know, kind of our, our shtick is, is, is backyard cookout. And along with that goes approachable beer, although well-made and flavorful, that you want to sit and drink three or four pints of throughout a relaxing afternoon session of, of grilling and or smoking meats and playing bago, cornhole, call it what you will. Um, and that, that's our vibe. So it's fitting really well with what we're doing. And, you know, my team has really been able to lean into carefully and thoughtfully making these beers at a high level of quality too so we're stoked about that and um, and I, I can't wait for that to drop now i will I'll, I'll leap ahead one whole month we've got one more new product dropping this year which is going to be called sway new england ipa um we make lots of different new england ipas all the time but my hospitality team was like hey we'd love to have a beer that people can count on right like new and different is awesome and we're going to always make new and different products, but can you give us something that especially people who come to us seasonally or weekends during the summer can look forward to. So, you know, in addition to the wide eyed, which is going to come out here in just a few weeks, right behind that will be that beer. Um, and I'm, I can't wait to, to see the changeover of our portfolio. You know, I don't think this is what we're going to make forever, uh, but these products will definitely be around for the next couple of years. Well, like you said, you never know where where the the winds of the industry might might take you because they always seem to come back to certain styles and some new ones pop up. And and when folks get to visit the the brewery down there, in Myrtle, or maybe they're up in the two in Delaware, what can they expect? Because like you said, it's kind of a brew pub vibe, backyard vibe, and it sounds like it's a fun place to be. I think you're right about that. And, I, you know, obviously, I work for the company, so I'm legally obligated to talk about it in this way. But I will tell you, about two thirds of our spaces are outside. Right. So we have this huge backyard that's specifically designed for your kids to run around and scream and yell while you have a pint. Um, and I don't want to say we encourage that behavior, but we totally encourage that behavior. <laughs> We're our locations tend to be in areas that are very busy and very popular. And, you know, Myrtle, sometimes when, when the beach empties, suddenly all the restaurants in town can be on a two hour wait. Right. And so what do you do about that? 
and nobody wants to sit in the lobby of your local uh, of your local national chain fast casual restaurant and and feed quarters to your kid to play the claw machine while he spins in he or she spins in circles waiting to be fed. You know, our whole deal is you're on vacation usually, or you're here to relax and unwind. So we want to provide you with the space to do that. So while we might wait two hours for a table at one of our locations, nobody seems to be fussing about it. Well, number one, because they got a pint in their hand. And number two, because they're outside in nature. We've got fire pits and backyard games, jungle gyms for the kids, swings, lots of interesting and creative uh, works of art. You know, in, in Myrtle, we've got a, a Volkswagen from the 60s that's been chopped in half and turned into a booth. And, and the first time I saw it, I was like, I don't understand that. And then five <laughs> minutes later, I watched a group of young girls sit down in it and start giggling. And I was like, now I understand. <laughs> right. You know, it's not a uh, it's not a junk on the walls kind of place. It's more of a uh, junk everywhere kind of place in a good way. You know, if you use the restrooms in our place, I, I, I'm of a certain age, but almost all of the stuff that's on the walls in the men's room uh, of all of our locations just reminds me of my grandfather from the 1970s and eighties, you know, old, uh, somebody famously found a yard dart set, you know, you may, you may remember. I've heard, I've heard stories. I've heard stories. I wasn't allowed to play with them. I was too accident. Nobody was allowed to play with them after like 1978. Right. I mean, here's a great idea. Why don't we give a bunch of adolescent kids, uh, spears to throw at each other. (laughs) You know, and we've got a set of them bolted to the wall so that nobody can throw them at each other. But I see that and the nostalgia is just a lot, you know. So that's kind of what our vibe is like. You know, the menu is focused on cookout food. So it's approachable American cuisine that you might expect to see um, if you visited somebody's house and they were grilling in the backyard. We do push the limits of the backyard a little bit, both in the beer world and in the culinary world. You know, we've got some very talented uh, uh, culinary staff who, who are working at saying, hey, Burgers, wings, and nachos are great, and I think ours are awesome. But what other interesting seasonal culinary things can we do? You know, we do a decent amount of barbecue, although we're not exclusively a barbecue place. And you know, our our uh, our culinary director Ted Dipillo and my, and I really enjoy talking flavor with each other, right? And we inspire each other. So you know, it's the time of year when we start talking about Oktoberfest, right? And he's like, "What do you think about sausage?" And I'm like, "You mean meat in a tube shaped form?" <laughs> absolutely (laughs) i'm here for that right so you know and he'll be like well tell me about beer and and i'm like uh can we do schweinhoxen and half chickens like they do at oktoberfest and he was like i love the idea no (laughs) it was worth a shot (laughs) a man's gotta ask right he uh i I gotta get him to make me some braised pork knuckle and and some roast chickens when when the time comes around He's like, if you wear your leader hosen, I'll roast you a chicken. And I'm like, well, that's not a burden. I mean, come on, don't throw me in that briar patch. Uh, you're gonna be. I was just gonna do that. That that anyway. And, and as as we wrap up here, obviously, this is called the Road Trip Series 2023. So, if someone's coming to visit, uh, we'll, we'll say specifically the Myrtle Beach location. What yeah. are maybe some fun things to to check out while while they're nearby that you know, aren't the touristy touristy things that that people might think of in Myrtle, some good fun places to check out near, near y'all or that you enjoy down there, putting you on the spot. (laughs) Myrtle's really focused on three major areas, right? Obviously there's the beach and, and Myrtle and North Myrtle beach both have some of the most stunning beaches along the Atlantic coast. So I always advise people, if you're coming to where we are, make sure you physically get to the beach. Um, We are located in a, in a development called barefoot landing, which obviously is focused a lot as you might not be shocked to learn around golf so you know if you're coming to Merle, you got to golf 
Uh, if you don't golf, you're still going to have a good time. But at last I counted, I think there were 38 uh, PGA designed golf courses within an hour of us. Um, and, you know, and I always tell people get get uh, south or inland a little bit to see the low country. Right. I mean, there's just some stunning scenery around us in the form of tidal marshes and and spots along the water that aren't necessarily boardwalky. Right. You know, and, and that's that's my recommendation. But, you know, I, I have learned this in my travels in the last six or seven years, which is sometimes it's OK to be a tourist and do the touristy things. You know, I lived in Philadelphia for a long time and I, I once famously or not so famously, took my family to see the Liberty Bell. And all of my friends were like, why'd you do that? That's a tourist trap. And I'm like, you know, that's the, that's where our country got founded, right? Right there at Independence. It's kind of an important thing to see if you can. A little bit. I mean, I'm a history guy, right? And they're, they're like, yeah, I'm not going to that tourist trap. And, and we had a blast. And so I tell people, you know, maybe we're not going to the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum because I don't really count that. But, you know, seeing Merle's Inlet and the areas where where uh freight came in and out of the out of the southeast uh coastline is interesting you know getting to see uh alligators and 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 the wildlife in the in the back country down there is just stunning you know we have there's a little lagoon right at barefoot landing in front of our place and there is a <laughs> apparently there's a gator that lives in there and uh he's he's a little fat uh i, I i'm afraid that uh our customers and the customers in the area may have overfed him a little bit. <laughs> and it happens to all of us. It happens. Right. To all of us. I know it's a problem with having food be one of my favorite pastimes, right? <laughs> We're all there. It happens to the best of us. And Larry, thank you for sharing your, your story in beer crooked hammock. And uh, I must say, I got to try the, the crooked hammock hammock light and the light lager and that that was a, a delicious beer that i think is perfect around a fire or anytime you're just hanging out with, with some friends and uh and and like i said thanks for sharing all that with me my pleasure entirely jonathan it was great to meet you find more from hops and spirits at hopspirits.com thanks everybody bye